If you've got your Bibles with you, would you like to turn to Jeremiah chapter 1? Just to say, what Andy and Lucy led us in there was a really powerful time. And um, don't feel under any pressure to pack up all that emotion now and put it somewhere for later. Yeah? We're great at that, as Brits. Oh, I'm beginning to feel emotional. Just partner with it. Allow, it. allow yourself to feel that way. And if that helps you to hear me or helps you not to hear me, then don't listen to me. Go on the podcast, you can catch it later. But it's more important that you partner with the way you're feeling and, and respond to that than it is to pack it away because it's a bit inconvenient right now because I'm supposed to be talking and you're supposed to be listening. Having said that, if you feel able to listen, I might just say something that would help. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 11 says this. The word of the Lord came to me. This is Jeremiah speaking. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. And the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly. Some kind of spiritual eye test, isn't it? For I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. What do you see, Jeremiah? The Lord asks great questions and powerful questions, and there's none more powerful than the question, what do you see? Phil last week did a brilliant job of opening up the new year with a message about tethering. If you've not listened to it, please listen to it. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant word. But he made the point that he was not going to talk about vision because that's what everybody's doing in 2020. Well, apologies, I'm going to talk about vision because it's what I really feel I want to talk about. I'm not sure what anybody else is doing. I want to talk about vision because it matters. It's important. And I was talking about it in 2019, in November. So it's not necessarily a 2020 New Year word. But it is a word I believe is really important for us because it's a word we use a lot. And Christians, we are very comfortable with using words we have no idea what they mean <laughs> and talking ourselves happy in the process. So let's talk a little bit about vision. What do you see? I don't know if it's a man thing, but I'm really prone to losing things and not being able to find them. And when I can't find them, when I say to Sarah, Sarah, where is it? Over the years, she's trained me to look with her eyes. Does any other man out there have this issue, or is it just me? Look with my eyes, she says, because clearly I'm not looking properly, and therefore I'm not seeing properly, and what I need is her eyes. The Lord here is just testing Jeremiah's vision. What do you see? And Jeremiah says, I see an almond tree. The reason why the almond tree is relevant is because in Hebrew, the word for almond tree rhymes with watching. And the Lord translates this picture of the almond tree into, Jeremiah, just to let you know, I'm watching over my word to perform it. In Ezekiel 2.9, there's a phrase that I love, which is repeated in Ezekiel and in Daniel and a lot in Revelation, mainly in the New International Version. And it says this, I looked and then I saw. This phrase is repeated time and time again. It's, it's linked to progressive revelation that says, I look in order to see something, and when I look, I see it. The truth is that we always see what we're looking for. It's called confirmation bias sometimes. I'll give you an example of this. I think it's a, it's a, it's a journey that I've been on as a parent and a grandparent. As parents, we can go looking for the behaviors that we expect to see 
or not see. And we become entirely focused on the things that need to change behaviorally in our children. But the beautiful thing is our kids are not sinners that need to be reformed. They are angels that need to be set free. And now you're going, you're kidding me. (laughs) You are kidding me. But the dynamic difference between how we see our kids as sinners that need to be reformed or angels that need to be set free is huge. Michelangelo, when he carved the angel, said this, I saw the angel within the stone and I set it free. It's a beautiful sculpture if you look at it. Parents, grandparents, communities, we can get so hung up on the behavior, what this kid is doing or not doing that's inconvenient or wrong or difficult. And the mindset is somehow we've got to reform them. Actually, we've got to set them free. Because within them is an angel, it's just cunningly disguised. Do you think that's how the Lord looks at you? A sinner that needs to be reformed or an angel needs to be set free. I think he's way more focused on what he wants to set free of me than what he wants to take away from the way I, my poor choices and my behavior. It's just a lens that we look at. In Matthew 17, verse 8, I got run over by this verse two weeks ago. It's brilliant. I love it when a Bible verse runs me over. I'm lying on the floor with stars spinning around. It's linked to the story of the transfiguration. And it's, only, it's one verse, and it says this. When they looked up, they saw no one but Jesus. Wow. Now that's a vision. That's a perspective. That's a posture. They looked up and they saw no one but Jesus. We're going to end there. So when we get there, you know that's the end. Because what I want us today to do is to navigate through a conversation, I know that's a bit one-sided, but you can talk to yourself, that leads us to the point where we look up and all we can see is Him. Jesus is meant to be the focus of our attention and the center of our affection. And every week, those who serve us in worship lead us to that place where that can be existentially true for us, not just a theological concept. We only have eyes for Him. There are so many other places you can look and not see Him. But in worship, it's possible to only have eyes for Him, to look up and see no one but him. Why does this matter, particularly at this time of year, so much? Well, because in January, we all fire up the change engines, the roar of that V6 engine that's in our heart and our soul, crying out for something to be different. And for some strange reason, we pick January the start of the year, to decide to redouble our efforts to change. And statistically, most of us fail. I think there is a better time of year for a New Year resolution. Can I radically suggest we should start in spring? I'll tell you why. We only change for two reasons. There are two reasons why you and I will change. 
One is called, we feel the heat. The other is called, we see the light. Two reasons why we change. Heat is a metaphor for, I am dissatisfied, I am disappointed, I am uncomfortable, I am fed up. I'm in pain. I don't feel good, I don't feel right. So that heat gets generated. We kind of get through Christmas because we just kind of glory in it for such a long time. And then we think, right, I've got to change this. This is no good for me. So for most of us, our motivation to change is heat-based. Discomfort, get away from something. I've got to get away from something. Very shortly, it'll be the day of the year when most people hand in their resignation or put their CV on a recruitment website. Why? Because they fed up with the job they've got and they've been doing it for so long, they think, right, I'm going to get a new job. Solicitors get calls from married couples about divorce at this time of year, more than ever. Why? Because they're fed up with who they're married to. They're dissatisfied. The heat has been turned up on their relationship so much they cannot bear it anymore. But there's another reason, a much better reason, why we might start to think about change and how we implement change in our lives. And that is because we've seen the light. And there's just no light in December and January. It's dark. This is why I think springtime is such a better season for change inauguration, because it's just lighter. See the heat, feel the heat, see the light. Without vision, all we are left with is how we're feeling right now, and that becomes a motivation to get away from something. I need to get away from something. I need to get away from you. How about we think about what it would look like and feel like to see the light? Seeing the light is all about having a vision of the future, a vision of yourself, a vision of your husband, a vision of your wife, a vision of your kids, a vision of your workplace or what your workplace could be that is a motivation towards something. It's a much more positive. Don't get me wrong, heat's good. But on its own, it's not enough. That's why without vision, people perish, because they get cooked. The Bible says without vision, people perish. They get cooked, slow cooked sometimes, by the heat, because they haven't seen the light. Sarah and I help a lot of people and organizations to change. Most organizations of people we meet can feel the heat. Oof. Talk to you all day about the heat they're feeling. We go look for the light. What's the vision? What's the possibility? What's the hope? What are the options? Because so many times people in organizations don't feel like they've got any options. Because when there's heat, there's often no option. There's just, I've got to get away from something. When there's light, all of a sudden, I've got options I didn't know I had. It's an empowering conversation because it's bringing light. And one of the most powerful things you can do for yourself and anybody you meet is to change the way you look at something or someone. Because you have far more control over the way you look at someone than you do over someone. Can I say that again? You have far more control over the way you look at someone than you do over someone. Sarah's been working on me for 33 years and she's doing a brilliant job. But she has far more control over the way she looks at me than she does me. 
I could probably get up and she could talk about this, the number of times I just haven't listened, right? The transformational power of changing the way you look at yourself, at someone else, at something, is absolutely huge. Because it's a mistake to assume that the way that you see them is actually the way they are. General Leia, The Rise of Skywalker. Don't know if you've seen it, I've seen it twice, brilliant film. She says, do not tell me how you see things, tell me how they are. What's she getting at? She's getting at the fact that things may not be the way we see them because we are looking at them through a particular lens. There's a, there's a truth that sometimes when we change the way we look at something, the things we look at change. When we change the way we look at things, sometimes the things we look at change. You've changed. I don't feel like I've changed. Ah, you're just looking at me through a different lens. Great job. Well done. I look at you and think, you've changed. No, you've not changed. I just chose to look at you differently. And the transformational power of swapping the lenses on our lives is awesome. Vision is what we see. Perspective is the lens that we see through. It comes from the Latin, to see through. Perspective. I was listening for you today because it's confirmation bias when you're speaking, you're in the worship and you're looking for any possible excuse to have heard the Lord say, what you're talking about is right. <laughs> it's only me that does that, no. So I heard the word posture, I heard the word perspective today, vision. We were, we were looking at Jesus being the focus of, it was just saturated today, it's brilliant. So confirmation bias, 101. I found it everywhere, right? But raising our awareness of the lenses that we look through when we see things, including ourselves, is really, really important and powerful and transformational, which is why I think of it in terms of 2020 perspective, not 2020 vision. Because if we don't address the lenses we look through, then what we see is determined by those lenses. What do you see when you look in a mirror? What do you see for 2020 or 21 and 22 and 23 for that matter? It's all determined by lenses. So I'm just gonna talk briefly about lenses and then we're gonna finish by looking through the lens that we are meant to look through. He's called Jesus. What does it look like for you and me to see each other through that lens? Oh, that's amazing. All of a sudden I don't look quite the same as I did before because you're looking at it through the lens of Jesus. Is it possible? Yes, it is. So let's talk about some lenses. They all begin with P, just makes me easy to remember them. Tomorrow morning, I'm off to my dentist. And it's a double appointment, so my hygienist gets her hands on me at the same time. I'm not really bothered about the dentist, but I don't really enjoy it. And especially the fact I have to pay for going. It's like, pay for you to do this to me, something somewhere is seriously wrong. But last year, I got an abscess under a crown, and I was in agony. And all of a sudden, my enemy became my best friend. I could not get to the dentist fast enough, and I said to him, literally, 
I have never been so glad to see you. And he laughed. And I said, I don't care what you do, just do it, right? I won't go into the gory details of what he did. It turned into like a, a month, three month process in the end. It was like agony, but my point is pain changed my perspective. All of a sudden, the enemy became a friend. A few years ago, a friend of mine broke his ribs, and I'm a bit of a hugger. I'm a very tactile kind of person. And when I saw him on this occasion, I was like, Way! and he was going, ah! And I thought, like, I mean, like, he did it in a slightly more, you know, less dramatic way than that. I thought, what's wrong with him? I, he looks terrified. He said, don't touch me, I've got broken ribs. And I suddenly thought, oh no, and all of a sudden, his pain had turned his friend into his enemy. Pain has an amazing ability to distort the lenses we look through. Particularly when we can look at each other. You hurt me. And all of a sudden, my lens through which I look at you is distorted by pain. The ability to recognize what is going on in that moment is life-changing. Because it prevents you from turning me into your enemy when I'm really your friend. But in order for that not to be to happen, you've got to be able to switch the lens. So that's pain. Do you know what? I, I figure we all probably live, I'm not an expert on pain, I don't know, you know I, what my grounds for saying this are. I suspect we all live with a level of residual pain, physical, mental, emotional pain, that we learn to live with and we're not even aware of it. But it's significant enough to shape our lens and our perspective. And that's why personal transformation is so important. Holy Spirit-led ministry is so important because it helps us to see things. Why friends were prepared to tell us our breath smells is so important because it allows us to access the blind spots that we would otherwise not see that continue to distort the way that we see the world. Wow. The second P is predisposition. Sarah and I are dog owners, very bouncy black Labrador. Be amazed how many times we're walking with that dog off lead. She's got no boundaries, so she is a little bit, you know. She starts running towards small children and adults, and adults immediately scoop up their small children. Ah! It's even funny when it's a small dog, to be fair. I really find that quite amusing. My small dog is under attack from a Labrador. Ah! Get your dog away from me. Darcy wouldn't hurt them. She might. Lick them a bit, but Meg, sorry. Oh, yeah, Darcy's been dead a while. Sorry, Darcy. Um, 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 how do I recover from that? Anyway, I'll figure it out. My point is that those little children become predisposed to think that dogs are all dangerous. How has that happened? That's happened because their parents have given them a lens to look at dogs through. It's called fear. So I can't resist it. This dog is not dangerous. I know genetically all dogs are about three millimeters away from a wolf. <laughs> so you need to be careful. But you're not helping your child. And you're certainly not helping your small dog. <laughs> Parents, you have a God-given responsibility 
to ensure that your kids are raised with a healthy predisposition towards dogs. No, I was joking. <laughs> Not dogs, towards life, towards God. What kind of God is he? Parents can put a lens on God for their kids that is fear-based. Eliminate fear from your parenting journey as fast as you possibly can and don't let it back in because it becomes a lens. It's called predisposition. I'm afraid. So, so Meg did go to the vets and have an operation. So she looks at the vets now through a very, very good lens, right? She's predisposed to think the vet does bad things to you when you go there. So she has to be encouraged. Predisposition, fear is a lens. Prejudice. Now, this is predisposition gone a little bit further. So, if you're a BMW driver here, you're going to need to forgive me very shortly. <laughs> but I have grown into a prejudice that says all BMW drivers are dangerous. And I have a lifetime of examples that will prove this point to you if you would like to listen to me. But even yesterday, even yesterday, a BMW driver did something really well, and Sarah, without any prompting, said to me, did you notice? <laughs> notice what? That guy driving the BMW, he did, he did something really kind. Well, I didn't see that. <laughs> and then yesterday, <laughs> a BMW passed me at about 140 on the M6. I was doing 70, and he literally went, and I went, And then you brought it up. <laughs> and I said, I wasn't going to mention the fact it was a BMW driver doing 140 in the outside lane. But we can build up prejudice. And now I don't see it when you don't do what I expect you to do because I've got a prejudice that says you always do this. It can build up in relationships where now when I, I only see you doing the thing that I know you're going to do. And I don't see it when you don't do it. It's called prejudice, it's a lens. Right, I've got to give you some different Ps because those are not very good. They're helping you to raise your self-awareness. But how do we address that in a more positive way? Well, there are three things, and they all begin with P. Posture, position, and people. And ultimately, a person called Jesus. Posture is a really powerful way to change your perspective. Lying down is the posture of rest. Standing up is the posture of resistance. Hello. It's one of my grandchildren. Hello. And sitting down is the posture of ruling. Lie down, posture of rest. How differently do things look from the place of rest? That's why it's good to physically lie down sometimes. Lord, what posture do I need to adopt towards this situation in order to see it properly? Lie down. Sounds like I'm talking to Meg now. What posture do I need to adopt to see this thing properly, Lord? Stand up. This is the posture of resistance. What posture do I need to adopt to see this thing properly, Jesus? Sit down. Rest. Resistance, rule. The brilliant thing about lying down is which way you're looking. 
It's not a trick question, honestly, come on. Brilliant thing about the posture of rest is by default, you are looking up. Because we can spend so much of our time looking down and looking out, we forget to look up until we lie down. And then from a place of rest, we're just looking up. It's amazing. Posture yourself differently. In this room, you'll see this room differently. Second one is position. Position yourself differently in this room and you'll see it differently. It's why we get into arguments a lot of the time about what really happened. <laughs> what happened? Well, this happened. No, this happened. You're both right. You just saw it from a different position. It's why we have four Gospels and why they don't all agree. Because they're looking at it positionally from different places. Positioning ourselves properly. The ultimate place to position yourself is seated alongside Christ. If you're not sure where you need to be, go there. Put it into Google Maps and follow the directions until you're sitting next to him in heavenly places. Because things look really different from there. The mountains look flat, the valleys look filled up, people all look the same. All of a sudden, these things that really bother us stop bothering us because we have a new position called seated with him in heavenly places. And if you are in any doubt about what you're seeing, ask someone else what they see. I see myself this way. How do you see me? It's a powerful question because it validates your perspective with someone else's. This is why we must live in community and not ever get isolated. And if we do, we become weird. because we become our own authority on everything, including the way we see the world, and it becomes the only way to see it, and then it becomes deception, and it becomes wrong. Healthy community is as much about shared perspective as it is about anything. But the ultimate lens, the ultimate one we look at, and the ultimate lens we look through is literally Jesus. It sounds like, is that some sort of religious platitude? I don't mean it to be. I mean it to be genuinely the case that we can look at anything right now, our marriage, our children, our bank balance, our workplace, our spiritual formation, our journey, our pilgrimage, whether we belong here or we're on our way to somewhere else or we don't know where we're going, to take all of that and look at it through the lens of Jesus. My optician always says to me when he's doing my eye test, better with or without? With or without? With or without? Life always looks better with Jesus as the lens through which we look at everything, including ourselves. And that's what I want us to finish today. I was really moved by what we sang earlier on and what we talked about earlier on because whenever we, put, whenever we sing about Jesus being the center, I'm catapulted back to the, to the time when my father died. And I wasn't with him when he, was, when he died, but I was with him days before and I knew it would be the last time I would see him. And I can't help it, but I can still picture him in the bed and I knew he was gonna go and I knew I wasn't gonna see him again. 
And I just sang Jesus be the center over him. Jesus be the center over me. Jesus be the center over him. And so every time we talk and sing about Jesus being the center, I'm catapulted back to a massive milestone in my life, which it took me a long time to recover from. But the whole point of putting Jesus at the center is to make him the lens through which we look at everything, including loss. And if we can put Jesus the lens over death itself, then we should fear nothing and no one else because the Bible tells us that death is the final enemy and Jesus has defeated it. Feel free. I am going to read Colossians 1 from the message over you and then I'm going to pray for us. You can stand, sit, lie down, whatever posture you want to adopt. But this passage from the message encourages us to look at him. Is that okay? Do what you want. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. <coughs> Holy Spirit, take this word and plant it deeply within our hearts and our minds. And then open up the eyes of our heart, which can see far more than we can see with our natural mind and our natural eyes. This passage says this. We look at Jesus and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything he created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. Jesus was there before any of it came into existence and he holds it all together right up until this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. Jesus was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood, poured down from the cross. Holy Spirit, help us in this moment, today, this week, this year, to see everything, including ourselves, through the lens of the Son, Jesus Christ, who is the horizon of God, the one through which we should view everything, including death itself. 
Open up the eyes of our hearts, God, that we would not just be moved by heat, but we would be led by light, that we would see ourselves clearly through the lens of Jesus, see one another, see our husbands, our wives, see our children, see our bosses, our employees, our workplaces, our streets, our homes, our cities, our nation, through the lens of Jesus. Help us to fix our eyes on him and not allow ourselves to be distracted by earthly things. To see things, Jesus, the way you see them because the way you see them is the way they really are. Let it be to us according to your word.